Well, good Tuesday morning, and thanks again for joining us. I'm Evan Bray. Another nice day on the way. Sunshine, already plus temperatures for a good chunk of the province. And uh, it's today. In fact, today's the day. I think today's the day they've got marked as likely the warmest. If we shattered 12 records in the province yesterday with the warm temperatures, today I'm going to guess it's going to be more than that, or at least a bigger difference between the regular high for this time of the year and and where we're going to get to. So either way, I hope you get an opportunity to get out and enjoy part of the day today. Well, we talk a lot about the James Smith Cree Nation incident that happened back on September 4th of 22. We've been following very closely the inquest that's happening right now in Melford. Our own senior reporter, Lisa Schick, is there and has been following this. We know that this morning the jury is getting charged Basically, with their marching orders, they will go away, deliberate, and come back. It could be a couple of days from now, but we'll come back with the things that they're looking to find, which is the cause of death, uh, some of the details that need to be answered for the 11 people that were killed that day to help the community and the province heal from this, but also with some recommendations. What can be done to prevent this from happening again? And in the meantime... You and I and and many people are discussing this topic and speculating as to maybe what some of those recommendations will be. And and ultimately, we all have an interest in finding ways to prevent this from happening again. This is why I was drawn to the the article that I saw in the Star Phoenix. Doug Cuthand is an Indigenous Affairs columnist for the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, the Regina Leader Post, also a member of Little Pine First Nation. I've been reading Doug's columns for years in the paper. The one that I read the other day really caught my eye, and I wanted to reach out and and talk to Doug a little bit more about this, and he joins us from his home in Saskatoon. Doug, thanks for taking our call today. Oh, you're very welcome. So I read with interest your recent column in the Star Phoenix titled, James Smith Tragedy Could Be the First of More Without a Shift. And I think Lots of people are saying that as well. You went a step further to identify some areas that, that you think need to be looked at, whether they come out as part of the jury recommendations or not. W- what prompted you to write this column, Doug? Well, I've been thinking about uh, about it, of course, like a lot of people have. And uh, the jury is charged with coming up with recommendations. And, uh, you know, it's, this, uh, that's a tall order for a, for a jury because most juries are made up of lay people. Uh, just average guys on the street, you know, they come, they, they, they get asked to sit on a jury and then they get thrust into the middle of these things. So they, they, they've got a lot of, uh, thinking to do and they've got a lot of discussion take, it's going to take place inside that jury room. But yeah, how do they prevent this from happening again? That's, a, that's, uh, you know, you could write books on that mm-hmm. really. Yeah. You've got three. I would say three kind of areas that you explore in your column. And I want to briefly talk about them. One of them is the jurisdiction of chief and counsel for a first nation. Why is that important? And what are your thoughts in terms of what needs to change? Yeah, well, I think the chief and counsel uh, have, uh, have uh, more powers than, uh, than a municipal council or a civic uh, council. Uh, they, they have uh, a lot of the responsibilities of a provincial government, in other words, they they can they can make laws. They can uh, uh, they have jurisdiction over their people and uh, responsibilities for things that, that extend uh, past that. And so that uh, I think that's very important that the some of the recommendations re- recognize the duty of the chief and council to be informed 
about all their band members and where they are. Uh, you know, like I pointed out, uh, a band member living in Saskatoon is just a, it's just a couple hours away to get up to James Smith. So they're going to come home. There's, there's no doubt about it. And uh, that happens in a lot of reserves. Someone will be paroled to a city, and then they'll end up on the reserve. And that, you know, the, the RCMP feel that it's not necessary to inform the band council, but I think the band council should know where all their band members are and how they could reach out and help them if they have to. So that's very important that the jurisdiction and cell government be uh, an important part of this uh, healing process. I just uh, this morning was talking about, you know, the the release of someone who is being released on parole with a litany of conditions like abstain from drugs and alcohol if they have an addiction problem, uh, not to associate with certain people. If they're being released in that community without supports, we are we are legitimately knowingly setting them up to fail. And in your article, you refer to, um, you know, people wanting to return home like homing pigeons. Their First Nation is where their family, their supports are. For, for good or bad, sometimes those supports might not be a good influence. My question, Doug, though, is, is, is there a privacy challenge when it comes to releasing information about conditions, for example, of an individual, if it wouldn't normally be released publicly? Well, that's, I think, <clears throat> that's my point about the chief and council. They, they, they are a government, and as such, they, they, could, they should be given this information, but at the other hand, the same level, they should be... Uh, uh, they should regard it as, uh, as classified information, you know, and only make it available if they have to. Because mm-hmm. uh, the police do this all the time. Some dangerous offender will be released, and they'll let the public know that he, he or she are out, is out there, you know. So I think they should let the band council know so the band council can keep an eye out. Um, see, we have uh, institutions on reserves right now. We've got security. We've got... Uh, Band council members who are involved in uh, other, uh, op, you know, other things as well. So there's, uh, there, there are, there are um, safeguards for the community that they can, uh, you know, monitor these people if they do come on the reserve. And if they're, if they're not supposed to be there, they can quickly inform the RCMP and have them removed. I was going to say, with that would come a responsibility, right? If if that if that notification happened to chief and council of a First Nation, um, there you you are you're not only giving them information. I would suggest you're giving them some responsibility in a case where they felt there was an immediate danger to do something with that information. Oh yes, absolutely. Like if the council has known uh, this situation was going to develop in uh, in James Smith, they could have you know informed the RCMP, because the RCMP didn't even know he was there. Uh, but but some people did, and, you know, it, it, I'm sure it could have got out, and it could have been made available to the RCMP. Mm-hmm. Doug Cuthan, my guest this morning, Indigenous Affairs columnist for both the Saskatoon Star Phoenix and the Regina Leader Post. So one of the other areas you touch on in your column is the need for a justice system review. That's a... <laughs> You know, I think that's probably an accurate statement, but that's also a big beast. Where would you start? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It is a big beast. Uh, you know, you just can't separate one out from the other. You can't blame the police. You, it just exclusively, you got to look at the whole the whole system, right from the, the point of contact with the RCMP or police up until the day the guy's released from jail. I mean, there's a whole system here. And it has to be looked at, and I think you just have to start, 
you just take it and, you know, like, like it's like eating an elephant. You do it one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. You'd have to go through this thing and, and, and work, you work your way through it. I don't know how you start and finish, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot that uh, has to be reviewed and has to be done. Uh, we have the jails are just, just overflowing with our people, and most of them are there waiting for uh, court dates. They're not even charged yet. And then we have uh, people who can't get uh, paroled onto their own reserve. They have to be paroled into a city. And uh, we have people who go into rehab and they come right back out into the same milieu that they left. So, you know, it, it, there's got to be ways and means of uh, making real change here, not just, uh, you know, not just uh, putting a coat of paint on this thing, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's a whole different ball of wax from what it was like 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we have serious drugs, we have communications, we have international trafficking, we have all kinds of different things, and it's it's um, the justice, the, the crime. Let's put it that way, has grown enormously, uh, you know, in, in scope and in in, in numbers, um, because we're the, we're the fastest growing uh, group in, in the country. I think we've doubled our population since the turn of the century. So uh, there's a uh, you know, there's a lot of things that have to be done here to to make, make the to bring the justice system up to the 2025. Doug Cuthan, my guest this morning, Indigenous Affairs columnist for the Leader Post and the Star Phoenix. So, one of your other points is we can't write off people with addictions. Supports are needed. While you talk about that, I I want you to to think or answer to a point that I've made before, where. I think we need to also find a way to understand that addictions, if we take that as, as an example, are a problem for, for many, many people, not just indigenous. Many people in our country and certainly in our province are suffering with addictions. Do we need to also find a way to sort through the ones that are less of a risk to the community and understand that there are also people with addiction problems who are a serious danger and basically behave badly and should we be looking to treat them differently well i think for the public safety you have to do that you have to uh, you have to go through and look at like there are people uh have addictions but you don't they, they don't get into trouble although it's, it's mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's a it's a slippery slope once you, once you get into something like meth and fentanyl and things like that you're 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 on a downward spiral that just goes. That just leads nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the course of my career, I've t- interviewed a lot of addicts and a lot of people who were able to overcome them. Uh, some guys didn't. Uh, I, I've, I've, you know, people have died that I that I did talk to earlier, and uh, it just seems that uh, it's a very personal thing. Uh, an addict uh, will decide when they want to. Uh, you know, when they hit rock bottom or when they get an insight or when, when the light pole goes on. And, and it happens differently with everybody. Uh, some people, it's an act of love. Some people, it's an act of near death or all kinds of different things. So it's very difficult to force addicts to to just, you know, just cold turkey rehabilitate the idea of the old American thing, just say, no, it doesn't really work that right. way. And definitely, definitely a need for supports. I, I think no one can be surprised if you have a person who, even if they've done a significant period of time, um, incarcerated where they have been drug free. And let's not 
assume that just because you're incarcerated, you're drug free. They're getting drugs in jail. But if you could say you were, let's say, two years behind bars, drug free, being released into a community where all of the same pressures, opportunities and and threats, tantalizing problems are in front of you without supports, no one should be surprised that people slip back into that behavior. So supports have to be a part of it. Yeah, and that's, that's where a lot of overdoses happen. A guy will go into jail for a couple of years and actually be drug-free. Yeah. He'll come out and he'll slip, and he'll take a, a hit that's the same size as the one he was using before he went to jail, and it, his body's not ready for it. It'll kill him. And so that, that happens a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. People overdose. Uh, That's 100% uh, accurate. 100% accurate, Doug. We've talked about that many, many times. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time left, Doug. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with me. Doug Cuthand is my guest this morning. Um, in, in closing... I think conversations also need to continue to happen. We're going to hear recommendations from the jury that will be some systemic changes, some policy changes, some procedure changes for organizations and people. But everyday people need to think and maybe even change the narrative on how we talk about safety in our home communities. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I, I think there has to be a, a sort of a reckoning here. People have got to start talking about this and, pointing out the, the the addicts in the neighborhood or people around them, that the things that are going sideways, they've got to be able to identify people. Uh, you know, I think the people of James Smith have reached out to the town of Weldon to, uh, you know, the poor individual that they killed there was totally innocent. It was, uh, you know, that, that, that could really create bad race relations, those kind of uh, things. So we have to get together and you have to be, be brave and have to talk about things and, you know, call a spade a spade. We can't just keep uh, hiding or blaming other people or other, you know, conditions and stuff like that. We have to uh, take ownership of our lives ourselves. And then, uh, you know, that, that's, you know, addiction and those kind of things will start to, uh, I won't say disappear, but they'll, they'll at least be manageable or they'll mm-hmm. get smaller, you know. Doug, appreciate you taking our call this morning. Thanks for weighing in. And uh, we will, uh, you and I and the rest of our province will be watching to see what recommendations and, of course, more importantly, the follow-through that happens on those recommendations coming out of James Smith inquest that's happening this week. Thanks again, Doug. You're very welcome. Doug Cuthand, who is the Indigenous Affairs columnist for the Saskatoon Star Phoenix and the Regina Leader Post, with some of his thoughts about recommendations that could potentially increase safety and prevent another incident like James Smith from happening in our province again. You're listening to the Evan Bray show on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, thanks so much for listening in this morning. We're going to turn things over to you for a little bit. Let's open up the phone lines and let's chat about whatever it is that you would like to talk about. We just heard from uh, a conversation that we just had with Doug Cuthand, who, of course, is a well-known Indigenous Affairs columnist, uh, with some thoughts on what recommendations need to be followed to prevent the tragedy like James Smith Cremation from happening again. Have you got some thoughts on that? one 332 8255 Maybe the teachers. The teachers, of course, have just announced they will be starting rotating strikes starting on Thursday in some parts of the province, and they will rotate for I don't know how long. Does that impact you? 
Have you got some thoughts on that? Where, how are we settling this? Like what, to what end are we going to continue to do this? And I'm, I'm legitimately throwing that out to both sides, to teachers, to the government. Is this, are we going to see this go on now for the better part of 2024? And what are the impacts going to be to students and to families, to parents? If you want to talk about that, phone lines are yours. It's open lines starting up just after 10 o'clock right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.